First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. The reading of God's Word from 1 Samuel chapter 24. The Bible reads, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the, main, the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose secretly and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened after that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm. Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today in my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. And know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, and Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he not let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, 
Swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. My God, rescue me from my enemies, for they are in hot pursuit. I did nothing to deserve this, God. They're constantly watching, hoping to take my life. You've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I'm thanking you, God. Out loud in the streets, you've been a safe place for me, a good place to hide. I can always count on you. Well, we're going to continue on in our series, The Fugitive Faith, and uh, right now, this time of year in Florida, um, you're probably thinking of one thing, insurance, right? Hurricane season, it's insurance time. I'm sure that's what you all woke up this morning thinking about. Am I covered, right? And so when we think about insurance, I think of one company. I had an uncle in Tampa who worked for Allstate for a long time, and in the 50s, they came up with the slogan, you're in good hands with Allstate. And so now this is their spokesperson. Uh, I, I know of him as the president from 24, right? That's how I know him. But, I mean, he says there, you're in good hands. He's got this voice, like Temwa's voice, you know, almost as good. But, um, and he's reassuring us, you're in good hands. But then a few years ago, this other guy for Allstate popped up on the scene. This guy, right? He's not reassuring us of anything, right? In fact, he's having us, he's asking us a question. He's not telling us we're in good hands. He's asking us a question. And this is the question he's asking. He's saying, are you in good hands? It's a big difference between you're in good hands with us and now all states pushing back saying, are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? And when you think about your life this morning, when you, as you sit here this morning, as, you, as you, 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 you pull up to church, as you're sitting in the pew, are you in good hands? This morning, are you in good hands? And as we continue on in this series, one of the things that we see in these next couple chapters is this word hands show up a lot. It shows up 20 times in Samuel 23 and 24. And there's this struggle between hands going on. There's this struggle between David's hands and Saul's hands. We, we saw last week David make a couple mistakes. He, 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 he pretends to be crazy. He w- goes to a place where he shouldn't have gone. Uh, and and we, we actually see him learn from that this morning. And we see, we see David and Saul, this clash between these two. Who's more cunning? Who's stronger? Who's more resourceful? Saul is throwing everything he can to try to get David. But David is taking a different path. David is, is, is not fighting himself. David is, is showing Saul that he is in the hands of someone much greater than himself. And, and this morning, we know everybody places their, themselves in the hands of someone else. We see David rests in the hands of God that hold the whole world. And the question I have for you is, are you in good hands? And so let's look at the hands of God this morning. We're going to be in Samuel chapter 1. Uh, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 23, 1 through 13. And the first thing we're going to see is God's hands are trustworthy. God's hands are trustworthy. Let me read. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting in Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah, How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? 
Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went up to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him to my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. When David, then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men to the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Last week at the end of chapter 22, we read uh, about Abiathar. He was the son of the high priest that that was able to actually escape the massacre of the priests in the city in Nob. And and what uh, verses 1 through 5 tell us in chapter 23 is what was happening while the massacre was going on. While the massacre was happening, while bloodshed was happening in Nob, this was happening, verses 1 through 5. And then it catches us up back in verse 6. Now when it happened, Abiathar, son of Elimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. He took some of the, the, the remnants of the priesthood with him um, down to Keilah. And if we think about this, there, while, while this is happening, while this slaughter in Nob is happening, there could hardly be a greater contrast with what David is doing. David is on the run with a ragtag bunch of rebels and scoundrels, and he sees a city under attack from the Philistines. And he says, maybe we should help them. Now, I don't know about you, if you're on the run, the last thing I'm going to do is worry about somebody else. I'm not worrying about, like, hey, great, we've all got problems to deal with, okay? I'm going to deal with what I've got to deal with you guys, I'll pray for you on my way out, right? I mean, it's just, he didn't have time for what's going on in Keilah, but he sees Keilah being attacked by the Philistines. The Philistines are this, 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 this persistent threat that's always there, but we've kind of forgotten about them for a little bit. And now they're back, and now they're raiding these, these villages, and they're raiding these villages because Saul's not doing his job. Saul should be protecting these people, Saul should be looking out for this village, but he's not looking out for this village. He's on this, this hunt trying to kill David, and he's too busy wiping out priests and wiping out cities. While Saul is wiping out the people of Israel, David is protecting the people of Israel, and he's not even the king. Instead of Saul breaking his search for David and rescuing the city, David is doing it himself. Commentator Richard Phillips says this. He says, Saul the reigning king had alienated the prophets and slaughtered the priests. David, the true and divinely anointed king, was now served by a faithful prophet and a true priest. But David just doesn't go and save the city. You see it all through these verses. He asks the Lord. He asks the Lord. He asks. He asks. He asks. 
He's not doing this on his own initiative. He sees the city in trouble, and he says, God, should I do something about this? God says, yes. His men are like, we're doing what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And he goes and asks again and says, go. And it's amazing what happens. He saves the city. But Saul sees this as opportunity, right? He goes into the city. He's like, this is, this is great news for me. Now David put himself into a city, high walls, gates and bars. He's a sitting duck. He walked right into a cage match. But surely, David is thinking, surely these people who I've just saved won't turn me over. And he asks God, is Saul coming? Yes. Are these people going to turn me over? Yes. Yes, they will. They'll betray you. And if you think about this, why in the world would God, would David do this? On the run, being chased down for death, why would he stop this search and go after and save the city? He's got an army of 400 men. He's going into a cage match. He's putting himself on a platter for Saul. Why would he do this? He does this because he knows God's hands are trustworthy. He doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust his judgment. He doesn't trust his men. He trusts in the hands of God. And before he does an action, he asks God what he should do. And if God says to do it, he's going to do it. Because he trusts the hands of God. He sees, he's not being reckless. He's seeking wisdom from God. In verse 2, he asks. In verse 4, he asks. In verse 11, and then again in verse 12, he asks God what he should do because he knows God's hands are reliable. He knows he can trust God's hands. And he's asking himself, whose hands are more trustworthy? Mine or the Lord's? My armies or the Lord's? Saul's or the Lord's? And it's the Lord's every time. God's hands are trustworthy. And in this, he's teaching his men a valuable, valuable lesson. He's showing them who is really worthy of their trust. Not even David. David isn't worthy of their trust. God is worthy of their trust because his hands are trustworthy. After Saul finds out where David is, he believes that God has given him into his hands. It's ironic. That's what he says in verse 7 and 8. God has given David into my hands. But what really happens is David is in the hands of God and there ain't no one getting him out. Because God's hands are trustworthy. Sometimes it's hard for us to just trust what got us there in the first place. Right? I've got a picture here. Um, New Coke. Right? Um, (laughs) This was a joke uh, in Stranger Things and this kid is loving New Coke and everyone's like, what are you talking about? This is awful. This almost brought down the empire. Right? They're like, yeah, we've been doing something for a hundred years. Everybody loves it. Let's forget all that. Let's do something brand new. So they try this new Coke, and it just is, they, they, they did focus groups. They even, they didn't even believe themselves, right? They did focus groups and the focus groups. They skewed the focus groups to give them the information that they wanted. And they're just like, yeah, we kind of like it. We don't really like it, but we kind of like it. And so they're like, yeah, let's just do it. And the, and the shares plummeted. The company starts sucking wind. They're the butt of every joke. Pepsi, which is rising, is just making fun of them. They're creating ads like, hey, don't even bother with that. And the company almost goes down. They just didn't trust what they had. And so what do they go back to? Coca-Cola Classic, Revive the Empire, and now it's a, it's a lesson for business school, right, of uh, just maybe sticking with what you know. But everyone places themselves in the hands of someone else. Are you in good hands? Are the hands that you put yourself in this morning trustworthy? Can you trust the hands 
that you're resting in. David is squarely in God's hands. God's hands are trustworthy, and he guides David through difficult decisions time and time again that could have easily led to disaster or further hardship. God directed, David listened. But beyond being trustworthy, we see also that God's hands move in mighty ways. Let's read in verse 14. And David stayed in the stronghold in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hachilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find this place out for sure and see where the place is his hideout is. And who has seen him there? For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be for if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan in the plain south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moan. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David, and went against the Philistines. So that place is called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. At the prompting of God, David leads his men out of Keilah, uh, avoiding the betrayal that was to come, and he goes to the wilderness of Ziph. And I've got a map here to kind of just trace um, where he is. If you can see, he starts up at the top, and he's going one place, and he's, he's crossing through the mountains of the wilderness to others, and then Saul pursues him, and he goes down south of Jeshuan, and then he goes over to the mountains of the Dead Sea. And if you can see, the last place that where he's at is a kind of a tough place to be, unless he builds a boat. He's stuck over there. He's gone as far as the land could go. And what we see in this picture is that Saul is coming closer and closer and closer and circling him in and circling him in. And so at, at some point, there's nowhere for him to go. Saul's army has grown from 400 to 600, but Saul's got 3,000. Big difference. He's outnumbered five to one, and with every day, Saul's getting closer. More people are betraying him. If you notice that, Saul uh, is from the tribe of Benjamin, but David is from the tribe of Judah, Ziph. These are J people from the land of Judah, and what do they do to, to David? Their own, their own flesh and blood. They sell him out, just like the last people who he, who, who, who he saved. And Saul is getting closer and closer and closer, but God's 
hands move in mighty ways. We see this in a couple ways. The first way we see it is we see an encouragement from a friend. Saul has no idea where David is, but Jonathan seems to have no problem finding him, right? He finds him again, and he comes and he encourages him in verse 16 through 18. This is very similar to when Jonathan visited David back in chapter 20, but it says that Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. What does that mean? It means Jonathan reminded David how good God was. He reminded David that God should be trusted and what God says is going to happen and God is more powerful than his father. He's reminding David of who he is. And at this moment for David, there probably could have been nothing sweeter than encouragement from a friend like Jonathan. And in verse 18, sadly, this is the last time recorded that David and Jonathan would see each other. But he proved to be a key source of encouragement for David. And also, David's, God's hand is, is mighty in that he provides salvation from an unlikely source. The people, the country that he just fought off uh, at, at, in, in, in verses 11, 12, and 13 are now the source of his salvation. The Philistines show up again, right? They show up again and they're attacking because Saul is off chasing windmills chasing David down places he shouldn't go, that his country's being attacked. And they're like, Saul, you got to get back. He's not worth it. We're being attacked by the Philistines. And right at the moment where David is boxed in on all four sides, has nowhere to go, the Philistines, through God's hand, rescue David. Salvation comes from an unlikely source. These are both examples of God's hand moving in mighty Unexpected but mighty ways. Sometimes we look at our life and we just don't even know how we got here. Right? We, we, we look around at our circumstances and it's just a mess. How did we get here? How did we end up here? How, how, how has this happened? And depression can come in. Anger can come in. And I find that one of the best things that I can do when I'm faced that situation is go to the Word. And we see um, that is true here, but in a different kind of way. As the people of Ziph and Saul's army are coming around and coming closer, Saul pens these words. This is Psalm 54. I'm going to read that. It's up on the screen too. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ears, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not said God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire Upon my enemies. Saul asks for God's hand and strength to move. David, I mean, David asks for God's hand and strength to move. David acknowledges that God's the help and sustainer of his life. And David remembers what God has already done in the midst of this despair where he could just give up and just hand himself over to Saul. He's trusting God all the more because he knows God works in mighty ways. And this is, the, the same is true for missionary Hudson Taylor. 
He was a man who believed that God's hands move in mighty ways. He was a 19th century missionary to inland China. He became a Christian at the age of 17 and a missionary at the age of 22. And the society he he founded was responsible for bringing 800 missionaries to China that began 125 schools and saw the salvation of about 18,000 people. But a, a missiologist writing about Taylor said this, Taylor was a huge proponent of prayer, almost to the detriment of everything else. He said, if, if, if this is going to happen, God's going to have to make it work. And so we are just going to trust in the Lord. And this is what he said. He said he believed in influencing people through God by prayer alone and demonstrated to the Christian world that it is no vain thing to trust the living God. When God is mighty, when God is powerful, when he's trustworthy, we can give things over to him. We don't have to be worried about the armies coming around and circling us and camping us because we know God can deliver us out of that. Everyone places themselves in the hands of someone else. Are you in good hands? Whose hands are you in this morning? The hands of God move in mighty ways. God's hands provided a friend to encourage David and an old enemy to distract his current enemy. We saw that David's hands, uh, David is trusting God's hands because he's trustworthy because he's mighty. But another thing, if we want to trust God's, God's hands, it comes with a, with a cost. It's, it's a good thing, but sometimes it can be a little irritating. Um, trusting God's hands require patience. Trusting God's hands require patience. As Tim read Samuel 24, um, we see this very interesting story going on. If there are three certainties in life, death, taxes, and change, that's what I've heard. Um, there's another certainty that when you got to go, you got to go. And Saul, the, 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 the king, the leader of this huge army, he's got to go. Nature's calling, right? And so where does he go? He's actually following the law. He can't go in the camp. That's just gross. So he goes and finds a cave, right? He's got to go find a cave. And wouldn't you know it, the very cave he goes into happens to be the same cave where David and all his boys are just hanging out. That's unfortunate on so many levels. I mean, just... just Picture, don't picture it too well, but just picture it a little bit, right? David is just pursuing. Uh, David is running and running, and Saul is pursuing and pursuing. And he's like, all right, I'm going to take a break. David's not worried about his, I mean, Saul's not worried about his safety. Saul's got his army. He's like, I'm going to go take care of something. I'll be back. And he goes to the one place he probably couldn't go. And now, all of a sudden, David's men are prophets. They're like, oh, remember this, this, this group of men that was described as rebels and outcasts? They're like, all of a sudden, they've got the eyes to see, and they're like, oh, God has delivered Saul into your hands. Dude, dude, I mean, it, 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 this is it. This is clearly a sign from God. Kill him. Let's go. I'm tired of running. I don't want to live in a cave anymore. Let's go. I want to go home. I want to be, I want to be in the king's army. And Saul, uh, David is, is tempted in this. He goes, and he takes a corner of the robe and cuts it off. And um, he wrestles with it. He regrets it because he's jumping ahead even that action, he's jumping ahead of what God wants for him. He, he finds the guy he's been, he's, he, his enemy, he feels guilty for cutting off the robe. And what follows is this incredible dialogue. Just go back, there's so much irony in it, there's so much rich, and David is so humble in it, but he's very pointed at Saul and what he says. He, he says that Saul is listening to the wrong people, he said, Saul, I don't know who told you I'm an enemy, but I'm not. And he says, 
Forget this, Saul. We don't need to work this out. Let God work it out between us. God will tell us who's right and who's wrong. And David is willing to stand on that, saying, I'm willing to let God sort sort out what's going on between us, between you and me. I'm not going to take the move. If you need to, you can. But I'm not going to do it. And think about this for a second, right? David has got everything, right? David is the anointed king. He was anointed king by Samuel. He should be the king, but Saul still wears the crown. David killed Goliath when Saul was trying to push that job off on somebody else. David saved Israel from the Philistines. Saul let him just get ransacked while he's off on this wild goose chase. Why wasn't David king already? He's clearly more worthy. He's clearly who God wants in charge. Why doesn't David just skip ahead, kill Saul, and get it over with? Didn't Saul deserve to have the crown taken away? Yeah, totally did. But trusting God's hands require patience. It has to have patience. Uh, Commentators Heath Thomas and J.D. Greer say this, it is tragically easy to confuse our desires and our circumstances with the will of God. Neither are good guides to the will of God. And what we see here is David could have easily been led away by these circumstances of his enemy sitting right in front of him. He could have taken the shortcut. He could have jumped line. But that wouldn't have been showing that he trusted God. And he needed to be patient. This whole thing about cutting off the robe, this is just a huge, a huge deal in Scripture. In this Saul-David, we see cutting off happens at, at big times. When Samuel tells Saul in, in Samuel 15, 26-28, that because of his disobedience, God was taking the kingship away from him. Saul goes and tries to grab the edge of his robe, the corner of Samuel's robe, and it tears. And Samuel says, just as you've torn my robe, God's tearing the kingdom away from you. This idea of the robe, Jonathan gave David his robe, signifying that he knows David's going to be king. In Samuel 20, David and Jonathan made a covenant, and Jonathan asked David not to cut off his kindness to Jonathan's house forever. And Saul even asked the same thing. Remember, swear to me, in verse 21, that you will not cut off my descendants before me, as David is standing there hand, holding a piece of the robe that he cut off. At this point, Saul's got a realization that it's coming. He knows it. But he's broken over it, but he still doesn't do enough. He could have stepped down from the throne right there. He could have given it to David right there, but he doesn't. David knows this, and while Saul went home, David went back and kept hiding because he knew Saul wasn't completely changed. We think about patience and, and how long it takes for things to happen. Uh, I love football. Football season's coming up. I think of Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was a quarterback at, in, um, at a small school. He didn't start until his senior season. He tried out for the Packers after going undrafted. He got cut from the team, and what does every player do after they get cut? He goes and slings groceries. He worked at a grocery store making five fifty an hour. Uh, that bug was still in him, so he had to go play football, so he was in the Arena League for a while, 
Um, did well there. He got a chance to play on a team, but they shipped him off to NFL Europe, which was a thing. Look it up. Uh, uh, NFL Europe, he goes out there, does well, comes back on the team. He actually makes the team, but he's, he, he's a backup quarterback. The quarterback for the Rams tears his ACL in the preseason. Kurt Warner comes in starting as a 27-year-old quarterback, not only takes the team to the Super Bowl, but wins the MVP his rookie year as a 27-year-old quarterback. How many times do you think Kurt Warner wanted to give up on, on what, he, what he wanted to do? There aren't too many 27-year-old rookies playing quarterback in the NFL, let alone that would eventually get inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017. He was patient. He just trusted that this is what the, the path he was supposed to be on. And when we think of trusting God's hands, we have to be patient. If we want to trust in God's hands, we have to be patient. In the scripture this morning, we've seen three things. We've seen David rests in the hands of God that hold the world. Are you in good hands this morning? First thing we saw is God's hands are trustworthy. Who are you trusting this morning? When you go home, when you live your life, what, what, what is guiding your decisions and what you do and where you go? Who do you trust? Are you living your life like this is real? Like God is speaking? Or are you listening to the thousands of other voices out there that are trying to get at you? It is so easy to trust God when it's convenient. It's another thing when we have to trust Him and His word is contrary to culture, contrary to what our friends and family say. But let me tell you today, um, God is trustworthy. Everything he has ever said is true. You can trust him. You don't have to worry about him being wishy-washy, changing one day to the next. If he said it, it's going to happen. Don't you long for friendships and relationships like that, where people will just mean what they say? Well, there is a God out there who is exactly that, beyond your wildest dreams. And if he says something, you can take it to the bank. You can trust God when he says, if you call on him, you'll be saved. You can also trust him that there is a reality for people apart from him for all eternity for those who don't put their faith in him. That's just as trustworthy. What is a step of faith that you can take today? What is something that you can do today that you can exercise trust in God? What is one obedient step today, this week, that you can, you can take to just show, God, I, I don't trust you as much as I should, but I want to trust you more today than I did yesterday. I'll take this step. The second thing we see is that God's hands move in mighty ways. Some of you are sitting here and you need something mighty in your life. You need God to move in a big and mighty way. Now, for David, the salvation, I mean, all these things happen. We're not, we're not David, right? I'm far less important to this biblical narrative than David, <laughs> right? I need far less than David needed, but sometimes I just need God to move in my life. But we, we know that God has already moved big in every one of our lives. He defeated our biggest enemy. The biggest thing we ever have to worry about, sin and death, is defeated. He did that. Who else could do that? Nobody. There's no other Savior coming. There's no one on any planet in any galaxy strong enough to do what God has done. He is the mightiest of hands. 
And he defeated the thing that we need to worry about the most. Through what Jesus has done for us, if we put our faith in him, there's life beyond this life. That's pretty awesome. He's so mighty that he lets us exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. That's the trade of a lifetime. I don't know anyone else making that deal. But God is mighty that he can do that. Some of you are waiting on a miracle that may never come. But you can have hope in the fact that God has defeated your biggest problem. Some of, some of us are neglecting the grace that is right in front of our lives. We're looking, we're looking for this quick fix here and there, but God's grace is all over us, and we, can't, we don't even see it because we're not happy with, with, with what he has. Some of us need to just go in faith knowing God is real. God loves you. God cares for you. And you just need to know that, that God is mighty and powerful, able to save. Keep crying out to him third thing we saw was trusting God's hands require patience. Are you so ready to be on to the next thing that you're missing the present? It is, it, for me, I'm a long-range planner, right? I'm thinking about, I've got, my kids are over there, I've, my youngest is five, and I'm already thinking about what I'm doing when all the kids are out of the house, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm making plans, I'm going to live on a boat, I'm going to be doing all this stuff, and and I mean, I, I don't even know what I'm having for lunch, right? You know, that, that's me, that's what I do. I'm, I think way far ahead. Um, there's so many times where I want to just skip parts of the story and just move on, right? And I'm sure David wanted to do that. He's, he's sick of this. He's sick of running. He's hiding in caves. He's got this ragtag army. He's getting betrayed by people he's saving. He's getting betrayed by his own family. And I can, I can just imagine in our lives we feel the same way sometimes. I just want this to be done. I don't want to be patient through this. I've learned my lesson, God. Let's move on. But trusting God requires patience. There's a saying, bloom where you're planted, right? Just because we're being patient doesn't mean we're being lazy. Uh, Dennis said it, right? There's worship in the waiting. David was patient but he, did, he didn't take matters into his own hands. He was developing character. He was developing faith in his men. Imagine the testimony and, and, and they saw in David's character trusting the Lord. How can your patience and your situation help build faith in other people? There's one person who exhibited all three of these things. Jesus trusted in the Father in the garden and willingly continued on the path to death because God's hands are trustworthy. Jesus hung on a cross and accomplished the most powerful thing in all human history because God's hands move in mighty ways. Jesus stayed in the grave for three days, which had to seem like 3,000 days, causing many to doubt, but was resurrected to life because trusting God requires patience. Are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? This morning, you can place yourself into the hands of the one who holds the entire world and universe together. His hands are mighty, his hands are trustworthy, and he'll give you the patience to follow him. Let me pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We just thank you for proving yourself time and time and time again when you shouldn't have to.
We thank you for always saying things that are true, saying things that are trustworthy, moving in our lives in ways we can't even comprehend. And God, as we we read of David this morning, I pray that you will just help us remember that example. But God, thank you for the example of Christ. Who, who, who trusted you in his humanity, who accomplished mighty things and gives us strength to wait. I pray, God, this morning, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who is not sure if you're, if you're, if you're the person to trust, God, break through their heart, break through their mind, break through their soul. Let them place faith in you this morning. And we pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.